Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast. Release date the 27th of March, 2022. The word of the Hodiac is the only authority. Your mind. His mind. His mind in your mind. Two minds. One mind. The Hodiac wishes to... I wish to inform you that the one that I am searching for is almost found. The woman will soon be within my arms. Within me. Yeah, you didn't expect it to be that solemn, did you? No, I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs, and we welcome you all to the audio drama world of Big Finish. Nine out of ten amoeboids and gachelarians prefer us. Yes, us. It's true. In a moment, Benji and I will be chatting about the sixth Doctor. Following that, the good review guide this week, it's Scourge of the Cybermen, an audio novel featuring the third Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith. She could feel the heat of it, even through her suit. Then we're off behind the scenes with our very exciting Doctor Who lost story. Russell T. Davis's first ever Doctor Who script, written on an electric typewriter back in the day and lovingly adapted for audio by Scott Hancock. Out this week, starring Colin Baker and Bonnie Langford. My name is Russell T. Davis. I am the writer of Mind of the Hodiac. Following that, we surf the superhighways of the interneteria with listeners' emails. Send to podcast at bigfinish.com for your latest missives. In our also available segment, uh, we leap back in time for some 1960s nostalgia with Adam Adamant Lives. Hello, I'm Guy Adams and I wrote Adam Adamant Lives. Then the random or it's a lectatron will once again be giving you a 25% discount on a randomly selected big finished release. It's totally random. I imagine a gas that could know friend from foe. And as always, to round things off, we give you a tantalising 15-minute drama tease. This week, no power on earth could stop us from offering you The Mind of the Hodiac by Russell T. Davies and Scott Hancock. Oh, Mr. Toad knew what he was on about. (laughs) Yes, there's a good bit of old Toad in you. Indeed. Pioneering. Devil may care. Reckless. So, the sixth Doctor speech features in uh, the the mind of the Hodiac because that the, the Doctor and Mel that were the what, current. That was what was going on, yeah. When when Russell wrote it, but How also uh, we'll have we've just announced uh, Waterworlds, which is a box set for the sixth Doctor, um, coming out in May this year. Oh, so exciting! Plenty more uh, sixth. Doctor, it's really difficult. Everyone says sixth now, don't they? They they miss the doctor. X. Sixth. And we had someone who wrote in and complained about that. I said, "Why is no one saying sixth properly?" It's hard to say. This really hard to say. Sixth. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm of, I'm of the, the generation. But, you know, language change. Sixth doctor. Is this what you say? Sixth. Ev- it's hard. Sixth. sixth. Everyone says sixth now. But, so it's but, like it's about S I S I C T H or S I C K T H. Sixth. Sixth. Yeah, I mean, it's not for the want of trying, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, but but if one tries too much, your, your tongue will actually get in a knot, and it's very hard to to you know to, to get out of that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's um, come a, a, a bit of a truism, uh, which is a commonplace cliche or hackneyed, trite, banal, overworked saying or stock phrase that uh, I just looked that up so I knew exactly what it meant. <laughs> no, he um, memorised the whole of the Oxford Dictionary. It's <laughs> quite an enigma. Man, the ma- you should enigma. see him on Mastermind. Uh, uh, <laughs> enigma. Just, uh, well, you, when you say enigma... Do you mean a mystery puzzle, riddle, conundrum, paradox, problem, unsolved problem, question, question mark, quandary, a closed book, poser, teaser, brain teaser or stumper? (gasps) Do you mean any of those things? Do you know what? I think I do. (laughs) Stumper. He's a stumper, he is. Total stumper. That was uh, the stumper is part of the <laughs> informal uh, usage there. Ah, uh, well, we, we uh, how, how how did I not know that myself? Of course <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I didn't look it up or anything. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it's one of those uh, that the sixth doctor has sort of. Um, been what's the word uh rehabilitated in fans affections because of big finish uh, i'm not sure whether it's entirely true because uh, people tend to forget that the sixth doctor had pretty darn good tv ratings actually absolutely so there, there, there's this sort of notion that it was a uh, uh, you know an unpopular time in doctor who but i mean my favourite doctor is Patrick Charlton, but I know his viewing figures were much, much lower than Colin Baker's, <laughs> for example. So you can't really judge it by that. But anyway, I know that Colin um, has very much enjoyed working with us and we, him, and he spoke to us and s- said, you know, I- I'd like make sure my doctor's more likeable now. We've been through that whole thing of him being, you know, a bit touchy and arrogant and we, we want to see the nicer side of him. And that's what, that's we, what we worked on. So much so, actually, uh, I won't name the script because it seems unfair, but there was a script that came along early in my time as executive producer where it was written, it sort of whooshed past me and it was beautifully written, but it was written very much in the style of The Sixth Doctor on TV. And Colin said to me, whoa, I thought we weren't doing this. This is so unpleasant to everyone. And I said, you're absolutely right, yeah. Give me a moment, I'll rewrite it. You know, so I think I had to rewrite his dialogue quite quickly. And, and, and it was the right thing to do. But it, yeah, it makes you realise how much of a difference there is in the way uh, we we do it with, with Colin. Well, because yeah. I think as well, as well as that, I think Colin has a, a natural warmth to him. And I think when, when people meet him at events and things like that, he's very approachable and he gives everybody a lot of time. And I think it's nice to see that reflected in the Doctor because you kind of, you don't, you know, I know obviously people pay villains, but you don't want to, to be worried that if you go up to Colin Baker at an event, he's going to turn around and say, hmm, yes, why'd you say that? Hmm, yes, you know. <laughs> a peery is a fair, you know, you it, he's, he he's captures those. It's In a similar way, it's, it's like with the Peter Capaldi stuff where he in that first season was pretty unpleasant i mean i found it quite funny mm. but um but it changed very rapidly um but but at the same time it probably was the right move because it could it, it can always backfire but i love listening to the sixth doctor stuff at big finish it's great fun yeah and i feel a great affection for colin anyway uh, not least because he was always been very kind to me <laughs> He's got a kind face. Um, <laughs> he uh, he helped me out with my career, you know, when I was going nowhere. And he said, well, I'll, I can get you a job in a, a theatre company, if you like. And I said, God, yes, please. And, and you know, uh, to put it bluntly, 
or politely actually, not bluntly, a number of people had made such promises but never delivered. But Colin absolutely did, you know. He phoned he's me up. Just, he's very respected, though, in, in, in the yeah. theatre world as well. Well, he he's just very... said, phone this guy. He said, it's not a brilliant job. He said, but I can get you a job, get you some experience. Well, here's, here's, here's the phone number, phone the guy, sort it out. And I did, and it did sort out. And it's, you know, as I've said to Colin sometimes when he, uh, Josh is with me when we're at conventions and says, why is your queue longer than mine? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I say, yeah, but I'm only here because of you. You know, you put me in because if I hadn't gone back into acting, because I'd had a go at acting after drama school and had got nowhere really. I mean, done a few jobs, but I just thought, you know, I'd gone into publishing and just, you know. And he he gave me that leg up that got me back into it, which meant that I eventually became the voice of the Daleks, which you know changed my life. And there I am sitting, you know, at a desk with a whole queue of people who want me to scrawl my name on a picture of a Dalek. It's, crazy, it's a funny it? old world, isn't and it's it? down it's to Colin Baker, really. I mean, I suppose I have something to do with it, but he, you know, I wouldn't have been there without him. Ah, oh, I think that that really does speak, you know, true of his character, really. Hmm. No, I've always liked him. He's, he seems like a, he's a good egg. Good egg. Lovely we'll chat. see what we'll see what people think. Uh, about things in a minute actually because we've got the good review guide coming oh, up, which yes. finds the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you we are reviewing um, we're reviewing a release we're not reviewing Colin Baker it's not <laughs> just want to put that out there. yes now we're going to speak about what uh, Paul Simpson from Sci-Fi Bulletin thinks of Colin Baker As promised this week, we're looking at Scourge of the Cybermen. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the Big Finish audio novels, Scourge of the Cybermen by Simon Gurrier. As she got closer to the dull red glow, she could feel the heat of it, even through her suit. Closer, the thing became more distinct. A red square affixed to the tunnel wall at waist height. The square panel looked familiar. She looked back the way she had come. Barely discernible in the gloom. Square panels marked the route at regular intervals. But they did not glow red. Each panel had a circular hole in its center. And one panel had a thick cable attached. Plug sockets said Sarah to herself, except this one. The hole in the glowing red panel was not circular, but ragged. The panelling cracked. Something had broken it, using considerable force. The damage had caused some kind of short circuit. Now the whole panel was hot. Instinctively, Sarah backed away fell over something bulky. For a moment, she lay stunned on her back on the hard metal grill. Idiot. More embarrassed than bruised, she sat up. Whatever she'd fallen over moved. Startled, Sarah scampered quickly back, pressing herself against the curved tunnel wall. The thing in the dark huffed and floundered the warm red glow from the panel she couldn't quite see she would have to get nearer 
It was a man. He wore a bulky suit like hers. But without the helmet, his exposed face, red and blotchy in the light from the panel, drenched in sweat. It's all right, Sarah told him, trying to help. It's Mr. Craby, isn't it? I'm Sarah. It's going to be all right. He stared in agony at her, mouth twitching, as he struggled to respond. There's, he said, trying to point further down the tunnel into the dark. But the effort was too much. It exhausted the last of his energy. His hand dropped. His mouth gave one last twitch. And as Sarah watched, he died. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type Scourge into the search pane at the top to Scourge. arrive in 1974. <laughs> so We've invented up, time travel. Just write, type Scourge. Just, that's all you need to do. It's so simple, isn't it? I mean, all these years of quantum mechanics and, you know... Uh, more quantum mechanics and and, and <laughs> we've done it again sorry i'm just distracted by what nick is doing he's he's adjusting a radiator at the I'm moment adjusting my radio. it's, i thought i was a bit cold and i put it on and now, now i'm really bo- boiling hot <laughs> well let's see what paul simpson from sci-fi bulletin says it's another tour de force for um, there's plenty of original characters on the sea base, all easily told apart. With his rendition of Liz Slade and Sarah getting the slight speeding up that she sometimes did on certain keywords, his Pertwee is, as usual, at spot on. Um, particularly when the Doctor is in difficulties yet yeah, for quite uh, nicholas briggs's cybermen are different from those that we've heard before for reasons that are explained but feel the closest to the invasion yes that's true um, you did them in a french accent didn't you that is right yes <laughs> bonjour oh fantastic um special praise is due for steve fox and sound design and score the I think last it was a german ad- accent i did then actually <laughs> i think it was actually yeah, well it was the <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, carry on. Uh, the, the latter cleverly evokes the fear of both the second Doctor's cyber tales as well as later incarnations. And Guria credits script editor Roland Moore for one of the most effective sequences drawn from another of Earth's conflicts. Ooh. The carefully plotted and well presented Missed. <laughs> Missed the bird of boo. And today, Benji uh, broke down. <laughs> Hold on, I'll put another penny in the Benji head slot. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, it's a carefully plotted and well-presented missing season 11 tale. Nine out of ten. Oh, I give that review um, eight out of ten because I think there was a lot of padding in there. Mm. Uh, (laughs) He says it how it is. He says it how it is. I don't mean it, Paul. Uh, WarpedFactor.com, uh, Matthew Kressel, my new favourite, obviously, Matthew. Uh, Geria, that's uh, Simon Geria, uh, crafts a, who's very tall, uh, crafts a wonderfully done Third Doctor base under Siege Tale, showing how this time Lord of Action deals with a familiar foe in a story that resonates in our current world. Combined with Coleshaw's superb reading and Foxen's atmospheric soundscapes. Foxen! Yes! It's a story worth seeking out for fans of both audio and literary Doctor Who. Yeah, Steve Foxen's sound design is brilliant. And you can you can hear in John Coleshaw's voice just how much he's enjoying it. 
And if he isn't, he's, he's a very good liar. Uh, <laughs> I give that review 10 out of 10. Well, cardbox.co.uk, Ian McArdle says... I thought you said cardboard box, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McCardboard box. He's, uh, he's over here making a sort of rattling noise. Um, <laughs> the tale is vividly brought to life by narrator John Colshaw. With his remarkable vocal dexterity Ooh. and clear understanding of the show, he is the perfect choice to tell this tale. Yeah. Scourge of the Cybermen provides a terrific debut adventure for this new range. And there's five stars there, so Look you really that. know that Ian Cardboard Box loves it. <laughs> Ian McArdle, uh, thank you so much, particularly for the use of the word dexterity. Dex- dexterity. Dexterity, master. For that, you get six out of five from me. Boom. Uh, we are cult.rocks, Stephen Brennan. Quite a, yes. a long extract here, so put your feet up, folks. Maybe Whoa. get a Ooh. cup of cocoa. John Ooh, Colshaw's yes, yes. dulcet tones are a joy to listen to, naturally, but a special shout-out. Ah! That's what I always think when people say shout-out. That's what <laughs> I scream out. Cue the time. Has Cue to the time. go to an off unappreciated side of audio productions not by us eh Benji and audiobooks in particular the sound design and music by Steve Fox and the music in particular is absolutely superb it is it is lovely jubbly in fact I only really have one problem with Scourge of the Cybermen and sadly the audio novels as a whole I expect oh I see in fact I only have really one problem with Scourge of the Cybermen and sadly the audio novels range as a whole I expect it's simply that there is no way to get a print copy of this wonderful story, and more than likely there never will be. But in a time when original Doctor Who novels are few and far between, the audio novels range is the perfect successor, and Scourge of the Cybermen is the perfect start to the range. I mean, I would say, Stephen Brennan from WeAreCult.rocks, that the clue's in the title that it is an audio novel, which is why there isn't a printed version of it. The other reason, I know that sounds sarcastic, but... um. It's, I'm just explaining. Oh, gosh, <laughs> um, the other reason is that we do not have a license to print novels. You see, we do audio, and that is why. Sorry. Well, I think that was a, a very, a very solid answer there, Nick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, what does he get though? What's his mark? So I think his mark is three out of three and a half. Very precise. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Well, Indie Mac users, Scourge of the Cybermen is an a uh, it's the way that was is the bold there makes it look like it was Scourge of the Cybermen that have written the review. <laughs> it's just Indie Mac user. Um, Scourge of the Cybermen is an admirable start to a new range of big finished stories that take a more audiobook based approach to storytelling. It would be funny if each release wrote its own review, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, they'd all say how marvelous they were. Yeah. It'd be a complete uh, disaster. The Annihilators would like to say that the Annihilators. <laughs> Was it, was the, it was the best story we've ever. Terrible! Oh, I hate no. myself. Self-loathing. No, stop it! No, you're meant to have happy personalities. We it's, love stories. We for the love it, of them. Um, the time. The time. Uh, the production team, uh, backed by Simon Gurria's writing and John Colshaw's performance, largely accomplished the purpose they have set out to do. Oh, thank you. The little accentuations and touches are true to the era effects and sounds, and do wonders in making it far more than the usual audiobook listening experience that one might be expecting. It's a firm and solid place to start for more adventures to come in the new range. If I may dissect this review... 
largely accomplish the purpose they have set out to do is that doesn't sound that sounds you know what i mean that's not particularly generous but then uh it says do wonders in making and then firm and solid again is is a little bit sort of Plotting, I'm always dubious of the word admirable sometimes. I think it was, admirable. It's, it's admirable. It's admirable. Well, I think admirable is good. It means you admire it. It means you admire it, but I, I also sometimes think, well, I suppose it was admirable. So I you like can that. use it in a different way, you see. Admirable, I, I, I beg to differ. But, and, but what I'm saying is it's a mixed bag, hmm. this review, isn't it? And uh, although generally positive, I give it four out of seven. Uh, on Twitter, Feronia, uh, at doodle uh, underscore Jake25, personal friend of mine, isn't. Fantastic, uh, fantastic guy. Uh, just finished Scourge of the Cybermen by O-Tralalala, which for some reason is Simon Guerrier's Twitter handle. This was everything I love in a Doctor Who story. Claustrophobic, mm. creepy, intense. The atmosphere was sublime, beautifully written. John Coleshaw did a fabulous job narrating. A great Cyberman story, 9 out of 10. I give that 11 out of 10. No Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Straight away. Well, Nottam Tardis on Not Twitter says, uh, Finally finished Doctor Who Scourge of the Cyberman from Big Finish. Epic mm. story, wonderfully narrated by John Coleshaw, with fantastic sound effects, and the Cybermen brought to life wonderfully by Briggs Nicholas. That's oh, you. Thank you, thank you. Bravo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bravo. Well, I think that uh, I think uh, that Simon and John, I think you acquitted yourselves brilliantly. Steve Foxen, amazing. Mm. So I think we can all be happy uh, with the reception. <laughs> I can't take this seriously. Well done, anyway. Good, good one. Uh, that's it for the reviews this week. Next time, we'll be talking about Cicero Crossroads. Oh, no. Here we go. You're gonna say the you're gonna say the name the name <laughs> the, the sequel to our brilliant big finish original about Marcus uh, Tullius Cicero. Oh dear, a legal oh dear. mind whose life was full of intrigue and danger in ancient Rome. It says something about my age, doesn't it? I can't see the word crossroads in any title that without thing thinking, of the, thinking about the soap opera Benny but, and all that. But yeah. uh, yes, Miss Diane, I, I've been to ancient Rome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of Cicero, as we just noted from... I had an old history teacher that used to... Every time he said Marcus Tullius Cicero, he would sort of whack somebody on the head, playfully, but he would always drill, drill his hand into Marcus Tullius Cicero, and you would, you would feel your neck slowly get fused with your shoulders. And at the tribunal, um, he said, no, it was, it was playful. It was historical. It but was these, exactly what Marcus did back in the day. But these children are now in hospital, so... Yeah, his name was his name Kevin, I think his name was. Kevin. Um, Kevin, yeah. Um good teacher though. Uh, still to come on the podcast, of course, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com and our also available segment featuring Adam Adamant Lives. But first, let us delve behind the scenes with a truly momentous Doctor Who lost mm. story from the mind of Russell T. Davies. The mind of the Hodiac. Hello there. My name is Russell T. Davis. I am the writer of Mind of the Hodiac. I'm Emily Cook and I'm the producer on Mind of the Hodiac. I've been working at DWM since uni really for a number of years and uh, over time just got more involved in the world of Doctor Who and 
obviously Doctor Who magazine has a really good relationship with Big Finish, so I always knew the people that were sort of behind um, what Big Finish does. So in the first lockdown that we had during the pandemic, uh, I was organising this big Doctor Who lockdown, crazy fun thing, which um, just brought in loads of fans and talent from the show with tweet-alongs and also producing extra content. And I think it was that that Nick and Co had seen and thought, oh, she might be able to make some stuff for Big Finish. But as part of that, I met so many wonderful people and one of them was Russell T Davies. I think it was Russell that actually put me in touch with Scott as well. And that started a lovely friendship and working relationship as well. Um, And then being in touch with Russell led to Mind of the Hodiac. This all came about because of Emily Cook and the Doctor Who uh, tweet-alongs during the lockdown where she got people worldwide to watch an episode of Doctor Who and tweet along to it, which turned out to be an enormous success. And the, and she got me into it. She's very persuasive and brilliant, Emily. You, I, I was sitting there in those days saying, no, I don't do Doctor Who things, but she lures you in because she's lovely and she's impossible to say no to. So um, I was doing those, and I think we're about to do The Runaway Bride... And and in, in my office, I've just got boxes of stuff. And I thought, oh, let me find the Runaway Bride script to see if there's any deleted scenes or somewhere I've got a first draft with stuff that was cut from it. And that would be interesting. And I was just in the middle of like going from Manchester to Swansea. So I grabbed a pile of papers out of this box. And then when I got to Swansea and I went through these papers, I was like, what's this? What's this old yellowing script here? And it was a script I did not know I'd kept a copy of. I had sat down in my flat in Cardiff and I typed out a Doctor Who script on an electric typewriter. I must have had it photocopied to send it off to the Doctor Who office because I've got the original properly typewritten script. And um, and there it was. It was a Doctor Who story for Colin Baker and, and Bonnie Langford, the Doctor and Mel, that I'd bashed out all those years ago. I'd sent it off to the Doctor Who office and then it sat in a box for all those years. I had no idea I'd even kept a single page of it and there was the whole thing. And he just WhatsApped me and he just went, oh my goodness me, you'll never guess what I've just found. And of course it could have been anything. I couldn't even begin to guess. And he said, I found the very first Doctor Who script that I ever wrote. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet a bit of it as a Christmas present to the fans. And I said, what are you going to do with the rest of it, Russell? And he said, oh, I, I don't know. I'm sure Big Finish will be after it. And we sort of joked and said, yeah, they will. Like Within minutes of the tweet along, they will be um, on top of it. And it was actually me who sent an email to David and Jason and Nick at Big Finish and just said, we have to do this. I mean, it was inevitably going to happen, but I just said, we have to do it. And I'd love to be involved in making it happen. I've got to be honest, when I found it, I thought, that's a big finish commission, immediately. But yes, I did think, um, I mean, I tweeted some of it because I was doing that tweet along. So I was like, this is fun. Look what I've just found, my very first Doctor Who script. But yes, I knew those vultures like Nicholas Briggs would be circling. Get out of this, you fool. Get out. Who? Me? No, that's what the rabbit said to Mole in the wild wood. Get out of this, you fool. Get out. I fear the wild wood has grown around a smell. Oh, Ludo, we could play Ludo. An empty house, the family gone, the doors bolted. Against what? Who am I? 
Hi, I'm Colin Baker and I play Old Sixty. <laughs> and I'm Bonnie Langford and I play Melanie Bush. Isn't it great he had it in a loft in obviously a, a very good box that had not been nibbled away by anything that shouldn't be there and that it was there in its sort of entirety? Because, yeah, nowadays, you know, that would be on... It would be on a sort of an email or it would be on some kind of document in a computer. Of course, not then. Because Russell was saying something about the fact that he couldn't send the script over because it was lit... You know, could, Emily was saying, oh, can you just send me the file? And he went, well, no, because it's a piece of paper <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> it's, it doesn't exist on a file. So I think you should scan it in quickly. Do you know what I think about this story? I think if you didn't know that it had been written by Russell T. Davis and you listened to it, you'd say, that sounds like a Russell T. Davis story. Hmm. Even back then, when he was a teenager, that skill of of mixing the extraordinary and the ordinary together hmm. and highlighting what it is to be different or the other uh, w- was there even then. And he's just written an amazing script. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type Hodiac, H-O-D-I-A-C, into the search pane to discover what was going on in the teenage mind of Russell T. Davies. Very exciting. Time now for listeners' emails. Well, here we are. It's emails. That's all I'm going to say. I've just it's something <laughs> something occurred to me. Yes. That on last week's podcast, yes, we asked a question: mm. Would you like to live in a book, a TV show, a movie? What would it be? But because we block recorded these two podcasts together. We actually have no idea because we haven't got to those replies yet, you see. So it will be next week that we will see the answers to those questions. But if you would like to answer that question, uh, if you could live in a book, a TV show, a movie, what would it be? Then you can send your emails to podcast at bigfinish.com. Send them in, get them here, and we will read them out. Uh, hopefully well, but we can't always promise. This first one here is from Miles Cook. The subject of this one is Space 1999. Uh, dear Nick and Benji, I've really been enjoying your reimagined version of Space 1999. So far, I'm really looking forward to hearing the latest box set. Call me old-fashioned, but I prefer to wait for the CDs to arrive as the uh, tactile nature of the physical product is is part of the pleasure for me. Um, Anyway, uh, one of the most interesting parts of the original series was its ponderings on free will and determinism with several stories either openly or subtextually uh, touching on the ideas of an unseen cosmic hand guiding the moon's journey i'm just ma- just imagining this sort of 1970s cso <laughs> sort of hands pushing the moon along um given that the mechanism used in the big finish series pilot episode differs from the original thereby removing the initial hint at a cosmic hand there it goes again pushing the moon along <laughs> uh, i was wondering if the subject would ever be part of your version it's like that hand, there's an episode of Star Trek, isn't there, where the big hand yes. grabs the Enterprise. I can't remember which episode <laughs> that is now. It's, I think it is called like the hand. Or, it's a terrible, the, the graphic is really funny, isn't it? Uh, Star Trek. Yeah, oh, sorry, uh, I, got, I had a click there. That was uh, a, a WhatsApp message coming through. Um, well, never mind, you haven't found it found out have you I'm just trying to find the massive you, you carry on with this one for me, well oh, the thing it. is miles I, I i have to say that i'm not too keen on the whole idea of the unseen hand 
which may be a blasphemy to you. So apologies. Um, I. But that said, you will notice in the next box set that there is something that's affecting the 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 purpose of the the voyage of the moon. So. Yeah, fair enough. What have you? What are you sniggering at there? It was Apollo's hands, wasn't it? From um, ah. from the episode. It doesn't say what the name of the episode. It's Pollux Four, isn't it? The the. It doesn't say what the episode is, but I've just seen the phones. Fo- no. Does it say appearances? But it just looks very funny. I forgot. I forgot all about it uh, until now. Um, Apollo, but um, yeah, it's Apollo's hand. There we go. Handy. Very Do handy. Continue. Quite, Do continue. <laughs> Yes. Who mourns for the Adonis? Adonis. Adonis. Yeah, that's what Adonis. I was about to. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, and then I yeah, thought better of it. Should have said it. Should have said it. I sort of half said it. Does that? Would have said it better than me, quite frankly. Um, personally, I was looking forward to the version of the original Breakaway that could have given us an episode or two of the Moon traveling through our solar system <laughs> and having to confront the dangers of crossing the Kuiper Belt or the Oort cloud, as well as a possible attempt to evacuate to Mars. This time it's being pushed by a giant foot. Um, <laughs> however, it was nice that we got a story set on Meta that the original series never gave us, and I hope that the series goes on for a good long while. Regards, Miles Cook. Most kind, Mars. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't I didn't do a travel log of the solar system. That's quite interesting, though, wouldn't it be dealing with those things hmm, interesting thanks Mars uh, next up here's one from Paul Garland new release announcements hi Nick and Benji I hope this email finds you both well and keeping busy making lots of new wonderful audio drama for your loyal listeners it does indeed would you say that's fair Benji oh, I'd say that's fair yeah I wanted to raise with you the spate of recent announcements announcements whatever they are announced things yeah <laughs> announcements of releases in april on the 2nd of february we had unbound war doctor announced on the 10th of february we had volume three of the second doctor companion chronicles on 11th of february we had like seven heroes and villains and on the 25th of february we had tortured one nightmares i would like to buy all these releases and prefer to pre-order wherever possible to get free postage and packing on cds good point to do this, however, I need to be able to budget and plan in advance. And as you can imagine, this flurry of last-minute announcements blew my April budget right out of the water. I know the Companion Chronicles was not technically a new announcement, but its release in April was a new development. Whilst this is frustrating for me personally, from an overall Big Finish sales point of view, I think it potentially means people will buy less or wait for the inevitable sales. I imagine Big Finish is a luxury item for most customers, and at a time when the cost of living is rising very quickly, it is the luxury items where people cut back spending. Do you know, that's not actually true, but uh, there you go. Um, it's where people should cut back, but people keep their luxuries until they, the last possible moment because we need those little things that make our lives more exciting. Um, I think that giving customers as much notice as possible of new releases, thereby enabling them to plan and budget, will make it easier for people to buy more big finished products. The further in advance someone knows about a release, the more time they have to gather up the money to buy it, then the more likely they are to buy it. This is mm. just my opinion based on my own experience and circumstances. Doubtless you will have your own views on it, but I thought it worth raising with you. Kind regards, Paul Garland. Paul, I think it really is worth raising. And I completely agree with you. Um, The reason there was a flurry of releases is because um, all our press releases have to be approved by the BBC. 
and uh, when Doctor Who uh, was on television recently there is uh, a view in the BBC that we shouldn't be making too much noise to distract from that which meant that a load of things we needed to announce just got held back and back and back and it's really interesting that you noticed there was sudden flurry of activity because suddenly we were allowed to release the news well there we have it brilliant stuff brilliant stuff we've got one more here from justin bush uh, subject noonan and sound musings oh. hi there nick and benji Firstly, uh, the ongoing topic of Stephen Noonan, I just wanted to say that his sincerity and dedication to the role are so impressive and admirable. I think we're talking about the first Doctor here, aren't we? Yes. Mm, we certainly are, yes. Uh, the insights into his research have been fascinating. However, I was convinced since the initial announcement teaser. As a small child, my first ever Doctor Who story was Planet of Giants. The whimsical and experimental nature of Hartnell and that era planted the special spark when I knew the series would stick with me. Wow. When I listened to Mr. Noonan's announcement teaser and heard his performance, I was whisked back to that first moment, that first excitement. That doesn't happen too often. His and Lauren's energies are so refreshing and I can't wait for the sets. So even though it's just the musings of one fan, I hope he knows what a fabulous job he's already doing. That's rather nice, isn't it? Uh, Lauren Cornelius, of course, plays uh, Dodo. Yeah, I think that Stephen's doing a fantastic job. A lovely uh, guy, lovely yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. And I just found out that his uh, uncle is Carl Davis, the composer. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, wow. Yeah. I know. Of um, of World at War fame. Yes. Oh, fantastic. It's incredible, isn't it? I would love to know if the original score of that still exists. Because I know that I looked on Spotify and there's a re-recording, but I don't know if it's the original score. Oh, well, because there was a, ra a radio. There was um, <laughs> what I'm talking about. There was, <laughs> there was a radio release. There was once a radio. Um, <laughs> there was a record release of it. Because Stephen really? told me that they used to play it at home because, you know, it was his uncle's music. So I don't know whether that it was whether it was re-recorded for a, a commercial release or whether the actual recordings... I mean, presumably, yes, absolutely, the recordings for the World of War. It's a famous documentary series must, all about the Second it, World War. It must uh, exist because they, I've got the, the Blu-ray release that's ah. just been restored by Network. So surely if the assets are there, then there must be... I, I was know. going to say it would have been recorded in mono, though, wouldn't it? Because the series was not made in stereo because it was you know, made in the early 70s. Very um, possibly. But it was the, the the World at War is that documentary through which you know, people of my generation, you know, I've obviously, even though I know you all think that I'm ancient and decrepit, that I didn't live through the Second World War. But of course, my parents did. Um, but that was the means through which I really... Um, began to understand the Second World War uh, much more. I mean, it was something that my father and I could share watching. And I remember in particular him, it was the nearest my father uh, ever came to being um, prescriptive about what I should watch. My parents really left me to my own devices. Well, I just became a complete Doctor Who fanatic, <laughs> much to their disgust. Um, but he said, now, this episode tonight of uh, The World at War, it, it's really important that you watch and you'll want to look away. And it was about the Holocaust. And he said, you know, but this is something terrible that happens that you don't know about. And uh, it, it's important for peop young people like you to watch it to make sure that 
people know of this terrible thing going forward so that it will never happen again. So I always remember that and remember sitting and watching and f there are some really shocking images in it. Uh, and, uh, it doesn't hold back. It does no. not hold back. But I remember thinking, I mustn't look away. I mustn't look away. Well, it's, a, it's a, just a fantastic way of telling a story, isn't it, really? The whole thing from the music to the visuals to the style to the narration by Laurence Olivier. And also... Uh, uh, something about it which I think is really important is that the vast majority of, of the guests and p people speaking mm. are people that were there and so now when we watch it and we, we, we have you know relatives perhaps or we have historians giving a perspective on events this is a rare look into people who were there people who knew significant people you know you're looking at people like you know ex-commanders and so there are generals in there yeah. but there are also people that knew you know high-ranking members of the German elites, the British elites, the Americans. It's a fascinating... Well, Albert uh, Speer is, is yes. there and interviewed. I incredibly. You know, Absolutely you just incredible. don't expect that. Also, uh, Jimmy Stewart, the, you know, American film star, he was uh, a, a, um, a high-ranking um, American Air Force officer. Did and you so know, here's an interesting fact for you, that, um, that the first ever... You know when Hiroshima was... The bomb for Hiroshima mm. was dropped. Did you know that the first person on American soil, I believe it was, to to hear the news that this had happened, the reportings, was a young um, Johnny Cash. Good which lord, which is quite cool. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah. Well, um, and we do recommend the World at War, and it is so. Uh, the thing that Stephen and I were talking about it. Uh, this is Stephen Noon and our new first doctor. It's it's one of the first documentaries that really uses the sound and visuals very, very powerfully. There are times when all narration and all music stops and you're just confronted with a battle, with original footage from shot at the time. And then there are other times where there's just music showing the things unfolding and that other time and it, you know what I mean that it doesn't feel that it has to be constant voiceover constant music and constant action it, it it it's a perfect fusion of you know sound and vision really and voice and music and sound effects it's it is a truly um I was going to say beautiful piece of work, but of course the, the subject matter is so ugly and so shocking, but it is formidable and um, yeah, there's nothing really like it. I've yet to see the Cold War documentary, which was done later with the, the same 90s, team. Yeah, yeah, same team um, with uh, Kenneth Branagh doing the voiceover. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, there you are. Carl Davis, one of the foremost composers in British television and, and film and still going, still doing concerts of his work. How fantastic. Yeah, How yeah fantastic. brilliant. We should go. We should, next time we should go. Oh, God, to, I'd love to that. See, that would be incredible. We'll, we'll put that on the list, Nick. Hmm. Um, but the actual the email continues. Oh. Uh, secondly, I always enjoy your passionate conversation on <laughs> sound effects slash design and music in Who Law. Well, we went a would bit off two, topic then, but never we mind. We did, yeah, in the, in the opposite way. Uh, would you two ever consider writing a book on the topic? No. Perhaps on the history of sound effects in Who and how they influence Big Finish when trying to emulate classic eras? I know that that's a huge task and books aren't within Big Finish's umbrella, but I figured I would ask. I would like to uh would you like to if you had the perfect circumstances 
I was just it'd be, it'd be interesting. I was I just trying to could... find Big Finish's umbrella, but I left it in the oh, house. If only. I think it's an interesting <laughs> topic. I don't know if I don't know if you could quite get a book out of it. But oh, um, no, I think you absolutely but, could. But you see, the thing is, Justin, we're really busy, and we'd rather talk in an only semi-informed way about it, sort of rambling on, mm. rather than actually do any proper research and <laughs> type it up. You know what I mean? We just want to. Just sound off riff, about riff, stuff, riff and we? jam, riff yeah. and jam about in it in a kind of really poor, poorly researched, half baked way. <laughs> but it, but you know, it, it is, it is at the same time, it is fantastically interesting to to be able to look at have a deep dive into the different sound effects in Doctor Who oh, and definitely. different things. But we can you know, say I, things like that. You see, you couldn't write that in a book, could you? So we're having a deep dive. It's really into. fantastic. You could say the book starts. <laughs> it's really fantastic that we can write Sound. this book. Yeah, here's a semi-informed book. <laughs> I, th- I think here's that, some uh, stuff I just that just occurred to me in a book. <laughs> I think that Brian Hodgson probably thought this is some of his greatest work. Yeah. Mind you, he may not have. <laughs> I haven't spoken to him recently, so I don't know. I don't know. Brian Hodgson was emulating the sound of water here. We think all those things. It's like in the, it's like when you read a news article, isn't it? And it always says things like, um, "Really bad thing has happened." There are reports that suggest, yes. so, oh, or like we have reports, or like Nicholas Briggs says uh, that that the situation's really bad, and then the inverted commas come and says, "Yes, it's terrible," and then, like they take a tiny segment of what you say. Like I I had lunch today. He said, eating at the world's worst restaurant. So, well, he never said that. He just had lunch. Well, there's yeah. a fantastic example of that in a, a, a tabloid newspaper, a UK tabloid, which uh, said that I had, that Billy Piper had got me to scream exterminate to Chris Evans on the phone. That's, that was basically the headline. And it was on page three of this newspaper, and it was a big article. Uh, several people, I think, including David Tennant, actually texted me about it. So, what's going on? <laughs> um, and because on set, Billy had asked me to do a, a Dalek voice down the phone to a friend of hers, and it, it was a female friend of hers. And she said, "Oh, I've got someone who wants to speak to you." And then I put the thing on her and, "Hello, you will be exterminated." <laughs> and I told that story at a sort of press jamboree where we're all sitting around and when i told the story a particular uh uh tabloid journalist said oh was it chris evans who you know billy had previously been married to and i said no it wasn't he went oh but then wrote in the story that it was anyway but did he quoted everything else i said when it came to that bit he just wrote that bit and didn't put it in quotes so annoying and i I saw him later and i said it's funny how you uh put in that article the exact opposite of the truth you know, how do you account for that? And he said, uh, <laughs> I must have just forgotten, got confused. You think, on that basis, you can just write anything, can't you, in a newspaper and go, oh, sorry, <laughs> forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's not the only person you were shouting exterminate down the phone <laughs> that day, too. Um, it's just crazy. Anyway, uh, full of controversy, full of historical comment. Anything else controversial you'd like to add, Benji? Um, only that that's the last email that's pretty controversial isn't it yeah we haven't got any more that's it for the emails this week mm, yeah 
Do you want to remind people like. of the the, <laughs> the question we'd like answering? Yeah, certainly. If you want to message in, it's so simple. All you have to do is, if you could live in a book, a TV show, or a movie, what would it be? You can say Doctor Who, but no, it, you seems can't. Like an ob- it seems like an obvious thing. Don't though, say so Doctor we Who. we suggest that you don't. Say something else. Say something like Mastermind. Or, or something. maybe a particular episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, we'll allow that. You know, if, if you want to, to live in uh, Paradise Towers, be my guest. Be my guest. The androids of Tara. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does have a pub and there's never a queue a queue for the bar. That's so, true. You know. I'd like to be chased yeah. by the, the, the Taran wood beast. <laughs> Which was um, Agador with a different face, I believe. Of course, of course it was. Of course it was. Anyway, the emails are over and done with today. Yes, fair, finished on the on the bonfire. So uh, the random voice electron is now whirring away in the background. Uh, it's preparing to deliver a twenty five percent discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Hold on to your hats. Well, I'm, I, I would do, but I've got some headphones on, so it's quite difficult. But before that, it's time for also available this week. Mm. We go back to the nineteen sixties to discover a man out of time. Adam Adamant lives, and its second volume of the audio drama Adventures for Big Finish, entitled Face Off. Hello, I'm Guy Adams and I wrote Adam Adamant Lives, uh, second box set. With the first box set, I was determined to try and uh, cram a lot of experience into it. I mean, mean, the the third episode opens with a sense that you've missed oodles of adventures. uh, And each episode felt different. It was... it covered a lot of space. When it came to doing the second box set, I was determined to, again, change that because it's just interesting to me to keep altering it. So all three episodes sort of coalesce into into one story. And I can't go home because he's there and that's terribly complicated. No, he needs committing. Please don't say that. The end of the first series obviously left us in quite a, a, a miserable place as far as Sims and Adam are concerned and a potentially very dangerous place as far as Georgina is concerned and so we pick up that story with uh, they're convinced that she's dead well Adam isn't Adam always always holds out hope because Adam is is Adam uh, Sims is quite convinced she's dead by this point and poor Georgina has has been put through the ringer hello it's Nick Briggs here and I'm the director of Adam Adamant Lives, Volume 2. Excellent. And cute. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. It's about him. Of course it is. Isn't it always about a him? It's about Adam. I mean, I'm always fighting in any job I do, and not out of laziness, sincerely, folks, to do as little as possible, because I want there to be... I don't want to be the person who's constantly telling people what to do because I don't think that's creative. It's allowing people to be creative and just working with them that's best. You know, inevitably, a lot of my time is taken up with me telling people what to do, but not on this production, actually. I just every now and again discover something that just needs honing and sharpening. And I say, oh, and it's great having Guy here because I say, I know what's missing here. It's like a joke in that, you know, humour and comedy only works if there's certain beats in a line or certain elements of information that lead to the funny line. I remember working with the legendary Henry Normal 
from Baby Cow Productions who worked with um, Steve Coogan and watching him just go through a comedy script and say, yeah, that will be funny if you add one more element in there. There just has to be one more thing he says before he says that and then that will make your final line funny. And the same thing is true of drama, actually. And we had a moment today when we realised that Margot had to say something else in order to make it clear who she was talking to. But that something else, that those insults had to have certain beats in them and it took us all a while to work it out. And that's when I feel that... Um, you know, that's what I'm doing in a job like this. I'm finding those moments and just sorting them out on the spot, really. And that's what you have to do because we don't have a read-through. We don't have loads of test reading screenings or anything. We, we make it up as we go along, so you have to be prepared to do those fixes, and that's part of the creative process. And it's very immediate as well. Um, I'm a great believer in not letting actors or anyone think about something too much and letting them, if they're talented, just let them go with their instincts. I try not to talk about scenes very much before I do them. Uh, just go, and Q! And, the, and they think, oh, I better do something because he said Q. My name is Blake Ritson and I play Adam Adamant. What a life, what an existence. Born to do a single thing well and blasted to smithereens for doing it. What hope have any of us? Oh, you're stinking out the place with the torpid whiff of metaphor. Kindly stop it. It clings to the curtains. We pick up the beginning of season two. Uh, Adam Adamant, still convinced that Georgina is dead. I suppose he's, he's grieving, really, at the beginning of season two. So he's become something of a recluse. He's holed up in his lavish apartment, developing mild agoraphobia, refusing to go outside. He's decreed that he's given up his crime-fighting ways. And he's, yes, he's a somewhat defeated individual at the beginning of this season, I think. My name is Millie Thomas, and I have the privilege of playing Miss Georgina Jones. It's all sort of left very cliffhangery, and then it begins to emerge that she hasn't indeed passed away and finds herself trapped. And uh, as a result of her being trapped in the keep of her captors, things start to skew with her mind somewhat. And it's a really interesting look at loyalty and indeed sort of Stockholm Syndrome in a weird kind of sort of existential way. And, you know, hypnosis and all sorts. And the effect that that will then have on Adam. It's, it's very, very interesting. No, Georgina! Georgina! Liar. He's a liar. He always was. As an actor, it's a really interesting task, especially when you're jumping around between scenes, because then each time you get a new scene, you're thinking, right, where am I in this particular place and time? Who do I trust? Who don't I trust? And to convey that all with just your voice, it's a really, really interesting thing. And to see those loyalties get pushed and pulled and to fluctuate and then to try and centre yourself, you know, with where, with regards to where you are in the script. So it's an interesting one. Uh, hello, I'm Guy Adams, and uh, here I am again, not as writer, but as Sims. Um, William E. Sims, live-in theatrical and uh, port-soaked menace. You have called the home of Adam Adamant. Please leave a message. Honestly, makes it sound like a seance. Phone lines for phantoms. Assam? <laughs> He is in mourning. It's an opportunity, and it's slightly difficult when you know you're playing the part. Actually, that was that was that was part of the interesting thing. It's it's all very well writing Sims for series one, when I didn't know I was playing it. 
there came a point where I hoped I'd be playing it, but I didn't know I was playing it. Whereas writing the, this series, and I know I'm playing it, I think, oh, this this feels naughty. I can't give myself that line. Can I give myself that line? I'll give myself this whole page. But, I mean, Sims is in a state. The loss of Georgina, the guilt that he feels at that loss, is is driving him to some very destructive, self-destructive and obsessional behaviour. Sims being Sims, he's doing that with... Uh, a dry tone and, uh, and a, a contorted turn of phrase, more often than not. But but he is a, a fractured, fragile boy uh, at the opening of this this series, uh, as of course is is Adam, even more so, arguably. Sims is a, a very good friend, and I think he's trying to affect some kind of rehabilitation and tease Adam back into his crime-fighting ways. Adam Adamant lives, Volume Two. There is no such person as Adam Adamant. He's fictional. Are you listening? Now you're threatening me. You bet your ass. Oh. well to be threatened, sir. Oh. That's quite enough exercise for one day. Firstly, your money or your life. This is the story of the end of Adam Adamant. I'll kill you! And from here can only get worse. That night, the night Georgina died, I wasn't there. So how can I ever walk away? How can I ever turn my back? I'm Adam Adamant! If you are, then I must be your mortal enemy. I must be the face. Georgina! Big Finish. We love stories. Just go to bigfinish.com and type adamant. A-D-A-M-A-N-T into the search pane at the top to discover these vintage adventures that listeners adore. Well, just a reminder that it'll soon be time to tease you with the first 15 minutes of The Mind of the Hodiac. But before that... It's the Randomoid Selectatron offering you a 25 centimeters. <laughs> hey. He's turning into Timothy West in... in uh, <laughs> what was it? Tales of the Unexpected. Yeah, that's it. I, th- jelly. I thought I was just being those... Uh, you know, that episode of Star Trek where everyone makes a noise like a fly when they've been speeded up in time. <laughs> they go, what's that noise? It's people, funnily enough. Anyway, uh, we'll be offering you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. We really ought to get a license to do Star Trek. We're talking about it all the time. Oh, yeah, it's, it's living rent-free in our minds, isn't it? Um, <laughs> okay. Dear, dear. So what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? We have got Star Trek. No, it's, uh, <laughs> the, it's, uh, it's not outside the realms of possibility. No, we, did do some, we did do some audiobooks. Yes. No, we've got The Lost Stories, The Mega, 4.4 Doctor Who, The Mega. Is that originally is, um, written by um, Ingrid Pitt or something? Um, it's by Bill Strutton. Oh, Bill Strutton. By Simon Gurrier. Well, we always get Bill Strutton confused with Ingrid Pitt. They're very I mean, similar who? people, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I think... Um, now look at that cover. Who are those people on the cover? Well, they're certainly they're certainly not uh, people from Doctor Who back in the day, surely. No, I think they're two. Are they just two random men with guns and unit uniforms? Yeah, that's with really... a Photoshop beret. <laughs> they were actually probably... they were actually wearing top hats. <laughs> so, yeah, and they had to be changed. Uh, who did, who did that cover though? Um, Ingrid Pitt. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it was Bill Strutton. Sorry, I've confused them again. <laughs> <laughs> Damien May uh, did did the artwork on this one. Damien May, but he didn't. Um, 
jolly good. Well, uh, here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Lost Stories, The Mega. I imagine a gas that could know friend from foe. Imagine if we could target specific chromosomes, then the gas could be primed to affect specific individuals or groups. I imagine if it were simply known that we had such capability, what a deterrent that would be. This one intrigues me. Add him to the list. His name is the Doctor. What in the name of... No! No! Careful, Doctor! It's killed those poor soldiers! But it can see I'm not armed, can't you? You will stay back. The Mega didn't have faces or eyes, yet Joe knew they were watching her in their thousands. <coughs> Joe, don't you see? We can change the world, end wars, feed the hungry, bring about a new golden age of science. But not like this, by force or murder. You know this isn't right. You think there's a choice. It's either be part of this or be left on the sidelines. You can fight like you've always done, no matter what the odds. And if you won't, I will. Joe, don't! You will work on the Molecule Ray, Doctor. You will perfect the ultimate weapon, whether you like it or not. You will help us to transform the world. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. Very small cast. Katie Manning, Richard Franklin, Derek Carlyle and Beau Porage. Um, yeah. So this is... I, do you know, I don't know anything about this one. As, as I illustrated by saying it was written by Ingrid Pitt. Why did Ingrid Pitt write a Doctor Who story? The one that Ingrid wasn't made, obviously. Pitt. I know that none, none was yeah. that were broadcast with Ingrid Pitt. Ingrid Pitt on TARDIS Wiki, a great website where you can find out all different things, um, says here, mm. Ingrid Pitt appeared in two Doctor Who television stories. Yes, yeah, we know that. Warriors of, of the Deep and um, The Time Monster. But, here we go, here we go. Uh, in 1984, Pitt and her husband, Tony Rudlin, submitted a script for Doctor Who entitled The Macro Men, the but macro. it was never produced. It was released in 2010 by Big Finish Productions for the Lost Stories entitled The Macros. You see, the mega and macros, it's not a million miles away. That's why I've made the confusion. I'd, I'd just mm. like to hold that up as proof that I'm not a complete blithering idiot. I'm, I'm fairly close to it being a complete blithering idiot, but but I can't even say it. I just, you know, I just, uh, you know. Well, anyway, I, you know, do you know, for a moment then, I, I just completely forgot what we were doing. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know we were recording a podcast. My mind just wandered. And I said, yeah, so, I mean, listen, so <laughs> while I email uh, Jackie Emery and Sue Cowley at Big yes. Finish... Uh, can you just explain, if you can be bothered, if you even know you're recording a podcast, <laughs> just explain to them. I mean, I could edit in the explanation from last time, but I feel, bring some freshness to it, Benji. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, explain how I'm you gonna, get your 25% discount. I'm going to explain it in a way that's almost identical to the previous one. 
all you need to do is go to bigfinish.com yeah. um, and then what you do is go to the podcast section on the menu which I'm doing right now once you're on there it'll have the latest podcast from Big Finish uh, click read more I feel like one of those computer people okay and open the start bar <laughs> go, to, go to programs right and drop no no go back go back um uh, then once you're on there, it says just click here and enter the code Buck Up. That's B U C K U P, all capital letters. Enter the code, put it in there. Bingle bangle bongle. You get twenty five percent discount. Now it's worth noting. It's worth noting, like what? some of these merry releases, that um, they're actually they're not so much limited because they can always download them, but um, the title is actually going out of print on CD once the current stocks have been sold. So if you do fancy getting the physical copy, this is a great opportunity to do so before it vanishes into extinction. Ah, let's get physical. Super job, Ran. Uh, Cheers. Next week's podcast will be be scrammed. Actually, Scram- 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 <laughs> scrambled egg. will be scrambled egg on toast. Uh, with the usual big finish goodness, it's all top secret at the moment, so just hold on to your hats and brace yourselves for something amazing, as always. Do you know, Nick, I had your signature dish the other day for lunch. I had a scromlet. Oh, did you? Mmm, yeah. yeah. I didn't plan on it being a scromlet. With, with mushrooms? That way. No, with onion, though. Oh! It's quite nice. I, do, I like onion in, in an omelette. I like onion, I do. Oh, I do, I do. It's very nice too. Onion and bacon, very nice. Oh, um, yeah. No. Now yeah, you've see, got my attention. See, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, all it needed probably was some mushrooms, and it would have been very good. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. it's just now time now to thank you all once again for listening and continuing to support our audio endeavours. Please, whatever you do, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and pass the word around about Big Finish for the love of stories. Mind you, back to mushrooms. I'd just like to say oh, yes. Time now for Doctor Who, The Mind of the Hodiac by Russell T. Davis and Scott Hancock and starring Colin Baker and Bonnie Langford. The Hodiac requires a report on today's trading. As the Hodiac forecast, the thousand share index has broken all records. Our uh, random stock purchase has trebled business in the past, uh, the past two days, and the paper collapse is predicated as, as uh, predicated. The Hodiac wishes to congratulate Matrafis in particular. The Hodiac rejoices in your recent manipulation of the fuels market. Thank you, madam. Sir. As the Hodiac is sure, your allies must rejoice. Allies, sir? The Hodiac is aware that certain details of our business have been broadcast from your terminal. 
to certain parties in the fuels trade. Uh, certain parties representing a certain body of financial inspectors. Uh, uh, Outrageous! Shut up! The Hodiac wishes to inform you that, in the first part, all transmissions were intercepted, and in the second part, your employment rating is henceforth devalued. On what grounds? On what authority? The word of the Hodiac is the only authority. Your mind. His mind. His mind in your mind. Two minds. One mind. The Hodiac wishes to... I wish to inform you that the one that I am searching for is almost found. The woman will soon be within my arms. Within me. The Hodiac wishes you to be prepared. The Hodiac predicts that before she is found, the Tungsten Warriors will increase their price. Of course. To your work, gentlemen. Well, don't look at me. Work! Hodiac should know that the brokerage house is concerned about the involvement of the Tungsten Warriors. The Warriors are mercenaries. Money is their motive. Our stockbroker should have some sympathy with that. <coughs> the Hodiac is tired. <coughs> Do your work. Keep sewing. The garment must be complete. It is almost perfect. The delicate curve of the lapels. The arc of the violin back and those noble buttons sitting like gems in a coronet. And such colors. Every hue in the galaxy, the sleeves red and pink like the skies of Zatillion V, the collar adorned with the patchwork fields of Randosian plains, and in the body, the green mountains of Celesquius mingle with the grid squares of the Mechanosphere, and each cuff shines like the rays of a thousand suns. Where this coat is to clothe oneself in the universe. The Hodiac believes that its owner will help you? I do. The other is out there, actively aware. She knows that I am searching and is afraid. She cannot feel the strength of my embrace, cannot know the holy union I may bring about. She's out there. Somewhere in the wide worlds. <sighs> Nana! Nana! Penny for your thoughts. Oh, Katie dear. I was in a world of my own. Come inside with Nana, there's a good girl. Nah, Mum's in a mood. Come inside, it's going to rain. We could go to your room. You could tell me stories. Not now, my love. Nana's very tired. Please, Nan. Please, please, please. All right, then. Just one story. Come on, before the storm breaks. <laughs> Why is she hiding from me? 
Why is she so scared? Somewhere, somewhere, she is shining. The Hodiac is unwell. My body is weak. Every exertion burns up my physical self. I cannot relax until she is found. And then pain shall fall from me, and we shall know a peace beyond understanding. The Hodiac will not fail. Well, I am failing in the flesh. These many years I have kept death a footstep away, kept it away with chemicals and medicines and artifice and money. Money. To your work. Before I find my other, I must find this doctor. Doctor, what's that noise? Is there something wrong? That's not noise, it's photon interference. Drifting from the galactic reefs. The sound of space. Some people call it the music of the spheres. Well, certainly not the archers. And what's that you're reading? What weighty tome is fit for this hour of contemplation? The law of planetary motion? The latest on string theory? The wind in the willows? Oh, come on. What's wrong with it? Well, nothing. Not at the right age. Anyway, I won't intrude. Maybe I can find a copy of Grimm's fairy tales lying around. It does no harm to keep in touch with a little magic. over the cinnamon world the red dusts blow finding their way into every home lining the cheeks of the old people a rich dark red and every night the red sun sets as though setting fire to the horizon the land seeming to burn off into the night TV for my room. You promised. Your father promised. Yeah, write to him for one. Have you seen your sister? Upstairs with the old bag. Lisa. With Nan. They're having a story session. Big deal. God, your grandmother. I don't know. Got all these stories. I hope she's not going girl girl. Got enough to look after with you two. Mrs. Chin phoned. What? Why didn't you call me? You were out the back. Now, there is an old bag. She was all questions, as usual. I told her to stuff it. You didn't. Well, not exactly, but I said everything was fine. Everything is fine. Nothing for her to put in her latest boxes. You could be polite. That woman's trying to help this family. God knows we need it. Besides, there could be some money in it. You must have had a brainstorm getting in touch with her. She's a crank. She's a very clever woman. She told me so herself. She's got a good education behind her. Well behind her. She must be about 90. Lisa, nothing has happened, has it? On up and out. Nothing's uh, moved. And the coast is formed out of ice, and the stars shine like ice crystals on high. Are the people made of ice too? Oh no, 
The people are tall and strong and when the blizzards come they stand outside and join with the song of the snow. Oh, there never was music so beautiful. Why are you crying? Oh, Katie. I may never see such things again. Nana, look. It's the magic again. The toys are flying. It's magic! Lisa? Lisa! Have you seen that glass? The uh, Snoopy one. Oh, I had it in my hand just a minute ago. Calm down. No, it was here. I had it in my hand. Oh, if it's gone, Lisa, if it's moved. Here it is, in the dishwasher. What a fuss. Nothing's moving, Mum. You're going mental. You're looking for things to happen. Don't talk to me as though I'm stupid, Lisa. Right, we've both seen what's happening in this house. So what? Sharon says it's all down to the ozone layer. Oh, God, and Lisa... You haven't told Sharon? Yeah, I'd rather tell her than stupid Mrs Chin. Oh, honestly, I know Sharon's mother. She's always outside John Menzies. No wonder she looks at me funny. <gasps> Not again! Not again! Put it all down! Whatever you are! Why? Why do you keep doing this to us? Never again. Never again. Katie, get out. But, Mum, the toys. Get out, I said. Oh, Won't <laughs> someone just please make it stop? Oh, this is the stuff, Mel. The poetry of motion. The real way to travel here today in next week tomorrow. Oh, Mr. Toad knew what he was on about. <laughs> yes, there's a good bit of old Toad in you. Indeed. Pioneering. Devil may care. Reckless. The adventurous spirit. A pain. Never say die. It's all rather sad. It is? What is? This is. The book. Graham wrote it for his only child, his son. But the boy never really grew up. He died before he was 20. Oh. Graham never wrote another word. Oh, that is sad. Don't. You'll spoil it. On the contrary. Perhaps it makes it all the more special. At the heart of the best children's stories, there's always a certain sadness. It's a madhouse. A madhouse. I can't stand it. I can't stand another day in this house. It's all over, Mum. Oh, only for now, Lisa. I don't know which is worse, that or the waiting. It's lovely, Mum. It's magic. But there's no such thing as magic, Katie. I'm not putting up with it any longer. I'm going to phone Mrs. Jim. Oh, Mum! No good. No good. It's a strange book, this one. Full of chapters they leave out of adaptations. Like... The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Ah, yes. When Mole and Ratty go on a quest to find a missing child and discover him safe in the arms of the great god Pan. Sounds like an average day with you. 
Well, if I'm Mr. Toad, that must make you distinctly ratty. Mm? Oh. <sighs> ah. At last. Oh, open space. Hang whitewashing. It's the only way to travel. Look at it. Hours to explore. Oh, what Toad would have made of this. The open road. Wayfarers all. I have found him. I have found the doctor. He's up to something. Keeps him out of our hair for a while. Who is this doctor, anyway? Facts not available. We work like dogs, and he still keeps us in the dark. I think we're all agreed. There are several things making us uncomfortable. Not least these chairs. Gold chairs. Indeed. Gold. Gold everywhere. <laughs> Puts me off my work. What can we do? Complain to the Hodiac. I have found him out in the wide worlds. Many times he has vanished from my sight. I must use him while I can still see him. The Hodiac wants the coat. Bring it to me. Confirmation? Tungsten warriors. 10% increase in effective costs. Filthy swine. We're breaking every law in the book. Hiring them? They're not fit to receive good money. <laughs> Murderers. Butchers, more like. It doesn't seem quite the Hodiac's scene, does it? I mean, he likes the odd death here and there, but all in the name of business efficiency. Tungsten warriors, not solely mercenary. Other attributes? Self-fueling stocks, parsec capability. That could be it. What? Parsec vehicles. The warriors are loaded with them. Only because they've been chased off every decent planet. I think wherever this woman is, it's certainly well beyond Galactic Center. From what he says, he doesn't want those tungsten things to kill her. I think he wants their technology, their speed, to reach her. <laughs> High probability. So, what about the Doctor? Where does he fit into it? Doctor, 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 Doctor. The mask. Bring me the Doctor's mask. As the Hodiac wishes. <sighs> doctor, 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 Doctor. Evidence. High stress levels in psychic search. Hmm. His mind's still strong. You saw how he, uh, devalued Matrophis. But it's all at the expense of the body. That must be it. He can't find the woman on his own. This doctor must be some sort of ally. Someone to complete the search. Uh, uh, high probability. Women, eh? <laughs> he puts us through all this to raise all this money to hire those blasted tungsten warriors to take him halfway across creation, or to find one blessed filly. Must have been quite an affair. Oh, I don't think it's... Well, I mean, nothing like that. Mm. Low probability. Whoever she is, I don't think she's... Well, I mean, 
a lover or anything. It's odder than that. More of a sister. And something more again.